Mic check one two one two. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Am I coming yeah. through? Yeah, yeah. Speak easy, Black Renaissance Podcast. Here we go. Episode five. We talking black consciousness, people. Let's get it. Are we taking them back? Old school joint. They ain't ready. Yo, Chris, you remember this track? All right, you kids get to bed. I get the story book. Y'all tucked in? Yeah. Here oh, go back. Once upon a time, not long ago, when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, where laws were stern and justice stood, and people were behaving like they ought to good, there lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Yo, arguably the greatest storyteller in the history of hip hop. Slick Rick, they did the job, money came with ease, but one couldn't stop. It's like he had a disease. He robbed another and another, and my sister and a brother tried to rob a man who was a DT undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic. He said, "Keep still, boy, no need to stop." Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap. But little did he know, the little boy was strapped. The kid pulled out a gun. He said, "Why you hit me?" The barrel set straight for the cop's kid. The cop got scared. The kid is Finally, 
pulled it back and saw three bullets caught up in the chamber. So now I'm jetting to the building lobby, and it was full of children, probably couldn't see as high. So what you're saying, it's like the game ain't the same. Got younger niggas pulling the triggers, bringing fame to their name, and claim some corners. Oh. Crews without <laughs> guns are goners. In broad daylight, stick up kids. Goddamn, Nas. Woo! Folks, speak easy. Black Renaissance Podcast. Welcome to episode five. We kicking it about black consciousness this evening. Chris JB, what's going on? Friend of the show today. Friend of the show today. We have Imani Lawrence with us, a.k.a. The Hotep Slayer. The Hotep Slayer is in the uh, building. I'm in the house. To bless us with <laughs> wisdom about black consciousness. Me and Imani go all the way back to fourth grade. William H. Holmes Elementary School, Mount Vernon, <laughs> stand up. We got the Hotep Slayer in the building yes, to yes. kick it with us about black consciousness. Imani, what's going on? I'm good, chilling. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you asked Max me to be on the show. Oh yeah, glad to have you, Imani. So glad definitely. to have you. Definitely. So, oh yeah. So I told you, uh, we, we had to get you on here because uh, for years now, for years now, you've been one of the faithful social media advocates uh, on the front line combating hotepery. In all of its forms, <laughs> so delicately and so eloquently. Um, and since we talk, generally, about, mommy, <laughs> she's she's a general in the army. Yeah, y'all give me a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot. Uh, but for real, uh, since be kicking it, she be kicking knowledge. Um, and since we're talking about the also important issue of black consciousness in a uh semi post trump america it's really shot. important uh yeah exactly semi post trump cuz um it is so important that uh black people um have an understanding and a strong understanding of consciousness and you know what it means for us to and let's just talk with each other about what it means to be conscious of ourselves and of our people and of our communities. And we, we so grateful that you can join us today to um, bring some insight into that. Thank you, um, thank you. This is a Black Renaissance podcast and we promote the idea of the Renaissance spirit. Um, and the spirit comes in many different forms. And I'm really interested uh, to open up with asking uh, Imani to uh, answer this question for us um, and however you know however comfortable however much comfortable you're sharing uh, how would you say that you identify religiously um so I think <clears throat> I think I technically fall under the category of agnostic it doesn't always feel right though but for all intents and purposes I will just I tend to just go with that okay. um so could you tell us up. a little bit more about what agnostic means? And because I don't I don't know if everyone that's listening knows. I don't want to oh, assume. okay. Then yeah, tell yeah, us why right. it doesn't feel right sometimes as well. Okay, so um someone who is agnostic kind of it basically just means like and, and everyone will give you a slightly different definition. I don't know what the standard is, but um 
basically it's kind of like you believe that a, I'll use just generally like a divine creator um the idea the fact it can't be proven or disproven right like you can't say that it does exist you can't say that it doesn't and so you're just kind of like I don't really believe it but I'm, I don't wholly disbelieve it either you know like I believe that it's possible I don't go around saying people are stupid for believing and whatever they believe in because I rationally cannot ever say to someone that it's not true how the hell would I know right mm -hmm. it's just that that belief doesn't fit for me you know mm -hmm. and that's just kind of how that's how I define um agnosticism agnosticism sorry it's been a long day um <laughs> but yeah so that's how I define it um and so because ag people tend, when people say that they're agnostic, a lot of people just kind of think of it as, um, to quote one of my favorite shows, The Lazy Man's Atheism. And <laughs> I don't really, <laughs> I don't really, well, it's a community. That's one of my favorite shows. That's but, um, <laughs> but um, and I don't really see it that way, but that's how a lot of people mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. So like, based off of that, it kind of just doesn't fit because I would not define myself as an atheist. Like yeah. even, you know, even in atheist spaces, I would not like agree with atheism, you know, see, even if I was funny. safe from any other criticism, you know? Right, and see, and it's interesting because one of the reasons that I wanted to um, have you on here to discuss this topic in particular is because um, with my particular journey in the church, and it was funny, me and Chris were just talking about uh, where I am with my particular ordination process. Yes. Um, part of my journey has been often feeling more comfortable in Black humanist and Black atheist spaces mm. than I feel in many churches. And um, I don't know, we, 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 prob we definitely don't have time to get into it on this podcast, but one day I think we should have a conversation about how me, Quadri Harris, um, getting ready to be ordained in the American Baptist churches um, of Connecticut, by most people's understanding of the term atheist, I would fit the bill. And so, yeah, we're gonna have to have a conversation really? about that before. I would like to hear that's, that story because we just yeah, talked about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think what's important for me as a not only just a Christian minister, um, but what in many ways was more important to me, which I consider myself primarily first, a minister of what I call black faith and black religion. If a church can't make room for people like myself and Imani, its scope is too narrow. And, and it's, on, it's the church's responsibility to expand. It's not our responsibility to conform. Um, but I'll leave that um, for another day. Black consciousness, black consciousness. Uh, so our music selection, we started off with three classic hip hop tracks from um, artists that at some point throughout their career has been considered a conscious rapper, right? From Slick Rick to Ice Cube, and of course, Isaiah Jones out of Queensbridge. No, still wouldn't be considered. No. Oh no. yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like you know, Nas is typically considered a conscious rapper, I think. Mm -hmm. And 
with his latest album, King's Disease, I think that that's only added to that legacy. Yes. Right. Because this is a what mid 40s mature man that seemed to have come to grips with uh, so many different aspects of his life and seems to be at peace with himself and where he is. And that came out in the music. And he definitely flexed lyrically as well a little bit. So it, it was, you know, great project by Nas. Great project. Interesting. Um, I did not know he had a, a recent album out. That oh, is yeah, no, a yeah, lot yeah, about yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it <laughs> that says a the, lot about me. I did not know that. It, it was definitely one of the uh, better hip hop albums of the year. Oh, and wow. Okay. To Chris's point, yeah, I think this would fall into the typical category of conscious rap. Yeah, easily. Like, him him in general though i think easily you know because right. if you if you ask someone to name their favorite contest rappers that nas is going to be pretty much on everyone's list you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so to this day like to this mm-hmm. day he'll be on the list with mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people younger than him but he'll still yeah. be on the list and so. see it's interesting because the term conscious rap drives me crazy yep <laughs> because oftentimes i feel like it's used to um segregate and censor what people deem is palatable to talk about over airwaves so it's Nas is conscious from making an album like King's Disease he's conscious from making a song like If I Ruled the World he's conscious from making songs like Can We Please Have a Moment of Silence for all the kids that die from black on black violence, like (laughs) he's conscious for those things, right? Because he's talking about things and talking about it from a perspective that, you know, most ears are going to be receptive towards. Right, right. For me, Nas has never been more conscious than when he was rapping about that gangster shit on New York State of Mind. (laughs) And particularly because and, I, and I'm not here to get it, it especially y'all. A few of y'all that listen to this podcast was trying to say I was hating on Nas by quoting Takeover. Because <laughs> you were. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I quoted Takeover on, um, what was that episode? Oh. About who was the king of New York? And I said, you fell from top 10. Uh, no, I wasn't hating on Nas. Um, I'm about to say, you've always liked Nas. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, come on, it was a hip hop beef. Like, you got to add a lot. Like, like, Nas is one of my favorite. Like, I remember remember being in, like, being very young and you analyzing Jay Z versus Nas beef in class when we should have been, like, studying math. So, that's facts. That's facts. But yeah, no, no, no. no. Nas is my man, right? But it's for the, so it's not even about, I'm not here to debate whether he was the actual gangster or anything like that on a serious tip. For him to be able to use language and the technical ways that he did to take us into the psychology of a remorseful, drug-dealing, murdering stick-up kid <laughs> so vividly, like, like I don't know what's more conscious than that. Mm. Yeah, it's about sharing uh, your actual like lived experiences and just doing like communicating that in a way that's very creative and unique. And so just because just because you're talking about some street shit doesn't necessarily mean you're not conscious like that. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. 
you're talking about real stuff and you're talking about it in a way that other people are not talking about it, you know, and that's kind of really the more important part. Right. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. It's like, what I don't like is if I'm going to be frank, it's white culture and oftentimes as well, and this is going to be a whole nother topic for a podcast as well. <laughs> Write that one down too. <laughs> black bourgeoisie culture. Mm. Try to dismiss the genius creativity that is present through hardcore gangster rap. Like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I mean, even with that, with that subset of people, hood shit is only good when it's like happening at brunch. You know, like it's not any other time is not acceptable. You know, like right. It's so and, and they really cherry pick at it and appropriate it. Right when, when it looks cool, cool for them. Twerk to it. Actually, rooftop parties with your mimosas. And don't get me wrong, I'm <laughs> I'm with all of that. I'm with all of that, right? Oh yeah. I'm, no, 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 like for real. Like, really as soon am. as COVID is really ass. over, I was just talking with my brother earlier, like, yo, fam, I'm trying to be on the rooftop. Yes. With the bottomless mimosas, son. Like, with a bottle of just in a my splash hand. Of orange juice. Like, just, yo, give me some champagne. You know what? I'll pour the orange juice myself. <laughs> so I'm with all of the shit. So, but it's like when you appropriate aspects you slap of trap that on everything and look down on the people. Hey, yo, like this, yo, this music done sustained us through some rough times, y'all. Yeah. But I think, so I think one of the issues is like rap has a lot of different labels. Yes. And I think um, people like to put labels on rap because the, <laughs> the music that we listen to at brunch is, again, putting labels on everything, but is that really considered gangster rap or is that like, I'm sorry no. to put more labels on it, but is it like twerk music or? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. Because so they will slap trap on it and they say, oh, I'm having a trap brunch and you don't hear no trap music. It'd be City Girls. Like. <laughs> touche, touche. But I bangs with City Girls too. <laughs> Hello. All right, all right. Let me check. Okay. Conscious I'm with it. My consciousness. <laughs> so, and it's, so it's, um. Some of the things I think about is the genius level intellect that goes into these word formations and the syntax and uh, the rhyming patterns and rhyming schemes and how everything is so methodical. Mm -hmm. And then the consciousness for me is it always takes me to, and I always love when rappers touch on this theme because I was just listening to Capital Punishment the other day and Big Pun was doing it um, on multiple songs but the one where it really stuck out to me was the track You Ain't a Killer Mm. and then like what they're essentially teasing is yo my nigga do you know what the fuck I would be doing if I didn't grow up around all of this gangster shit Yeah. like let's just even keep it within the music in there genius level intellect with the words what would they be rapping about if they didn't grow up in an environment where so many people whether it's right or wrong actually believe that the only way to feed their family is by killing other people that look like them and selling drugs to them yeah 
And then just to add on, that makes me think, and then to add on to what I was saying before um, about the labels and rap is, I think people like to label rap just so they could get away from certain types of rap. But I don't think Mm. Mm. um, gangster rap is one of the um, genres that conscious rappers want to get away from. I think it's more so like the twerk rap, like, so it's, I don't know if I'm labeling that correctly, but sure. I think they're trying to I call separate. It stripper rap. Yeah. They're trying to separate <laughs> from that. Sure, but and it, it, it's tough. And then. You know what uh, I wonder? I wonder if I've had this thought in my head and I've never actually spoken it aloud, so bear with me. But um, I wonder if um, that has, in part, partially to do with the fact that we kind of define the black experience around that like around hardship you know because Mm. think about it like we're over indexed with respect to poverty and all sorts of other social problems right like we know that like we are overrepresented in in like uh, low-income neighborhoods things like that so a lot of us have grown up that way like it's a very large and no matter where because all elements of black culture it is separated by region Right. But I can meet someone from the South who grew up poor like I did and grew up in the hood like I did. I can meet right. someone from California who grew up poor in the hood and I right. did. And we can share something. Right. And I feel like that kind of ends up being like what we view as the Black experience. And then so everyone mm-hmm. has to be like, I'm Black. I'm super Black too. So yeah, like even though right, I grew right. up upper middle class and I went and, to and, prep schools and stuff, I still, you know. And it I becomes a character. And it, yeah, becomes and it becomes a caricature. They start to right. perform their version of blackness, right. hence and, the trap bunches. And that's trash, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, but so I'm, I'm really concerned with the artistic value in it. And mm-hmm. frankly, the, the awness of great intellects. I had a white woman try to argue to me that Fife, rest in peace. <sighs> was a more lyrical rapper than Cool G Rap. Mm. You knew who that because, was. Because Fife typically raps about things that, you know, pretty white women would be comfortable with hearing. Yeah. Where G Rap is rapping about game, but like, yo, yo, no disrespect to Fife. Yeah. You know, there right. might not be Absolutely. nine people that ever lived that are more lyrical rappers than Cool G Rap. So, yeah. like, <laughs> and he's mentioned in top tens. Cool yeah, G Rap, yeah, consistent. So, it, 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 but it, every it, so year, things every like year that about the conscious around. label really bother me. But another thing about the conscious label that bothers me is. For partially, I think, partially. People like Nas, definitely people like Ice Cube. Uh, people like KRS-One got labeled as conscious rappers, mm-hmm. low-key because they were spitting 5% of Islam mm-hmm. rhetoric <laughs> and ideology. And in Ice Cube's instance, he was spitting nation of islam um ideology and rhetoric right and because i'm inclined to think 
a part of um, black consciousness or the label of black consciousness has been a very true, clear understanding that Christianity and the church and even more specific white church is at the heart of projects of colonization. This has been a staple of black consciousness. Seems like since we got off the boats. Yeah. Rappers like Ice Cube, Nas, KRS-One get labeled as conscious rappers mm -hmm. because there are sometimes subtle and not so subtle anti-Christian messages mm. in their lyrics and in their rap. Uh, Papoose is another one. Papoose, yo, they, yo, he had this freestyle. It was on one of the uh, K Slay mixtapes. I think it was back in like the 03 range. He had this freestyle and I felt so bad saying the lyric like that when I still believed in hell. I used to. I don't um, know what lyric it is. I don't listen to Papoose. So I'm going to take your I, word I for it. I used to feel bad every time I sing the lyric to myself in the head because the lyric was so hard, but it was like, oh, this is so evil. Mm. Mm. He said, uh, I strategize like the marksman plots. I'll kill a Christian with a cross on my neck just so God can watch. Mm. I see. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's cold. But Le Papoose is another one that um, great lyrical MC, even if he's not the best rapper, that subtly and in and, and that instance, not so subtly, has anti-Christian, um, sometimes pro-Islam messages in his music and his lyrics. And that's oftentimes a very low bar for Black consciousness in hip-hop. Mm. What do we Yeah, think? you know what? I never thought about this before. So I'm really, like, letting it sink in. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> as much as I enjoy hip-hop, I'm not, like, a... I probably should have told y'all this before, but I'm not, like, a hip-hop connoisseur like you nah, are. Nah, you <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> So all for, the, listen, for listen, a good it, part of this, I'm gonna be quiet. If it's a if it's a bad take, all of the hip hop heads will be in my inbox. Like, oh, oh I know, violent. which is they also the reason the why inbox, I'm keeping my mouth cool. shut. And, and folks, no, no, in all, all in all seriousness, <laughs> no. Continue to send me messages in the inbox. I love it. I love the feedback. That's how we get better. I'm all, I'm here for all four. So yeah, if it's mm -hmm. a bad take, if I'm bugging, they're gonna let me. They're know. gonna let you know. They're gonna let me heard know. you. Yeah, yeah. But let's um so let's talk about black consciousness a little bit um more in more direct ways. Um particularly since we have the Hotep Slayer here. <laughs> Imani, please help us enlighten us what well tell us what black consciousness is not. And what I mean by that is uh, tell us that black consciousness is not whole temporary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So <clears throat> when we when we when people refer to black consciousness, they're not talking about um, any effort to just replace white people at the top of the supremacy hierarchy, right? So like, we're not saying you know the people who go around talking about 
what it means to be a black man and how they coincidentally exclude everyone who does not fit their opinion of what it means to be a black man as you know for an example um that tends to be misconstrued as someone who's extremely conscious because it makes us feel good right like hoteps do that they say stuff that kind of like makes us feel special you know makes us feel good about ourselves but really all it does is just reinforce the shit that we already go through mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and it will perpetuate it within our own communities yeah. you know yeah and see the wild thing is and i've spoken about this in detail um on the last episode actually about how my my purpose as a teacher during covid has been um so salvific for me during these times and so i teach latinx history mostly to 10th graders in new haven connecticut and bridgeport connecticut and one of the lessons that i um have been harping back to recently is talking about a social hierarchy pyramid that was the basis of a caste system in colonial latin america and in many ways, this is the same model that gets replicated in colonial British America, which of course would become known as the United States. And in this social hierarchy, it's a pyramid based on race and based on nationality or land in which you were born. And at the top of the pyramid are peninsulares, These are full-blooded white people from Europe. And they have special powers because they're white and born in Europe. And right below them, you have Creoles. These are full-blooded white people that have, let's not call them special powers, but they have superpowers. But they don't have the special powers because even though they're white, they were born in America. And below them, you have mestizos who have some powers, but they're not in the superhuman range, you know, because they're only half white and they're mixed with the indigenous people. And then under them are the mulattoes who are less super because they're half white, but they're mixed with the black people. And then the people all the way at the bottom are the full-blooded black people and the indigenous people, and they don't have any powers at all. And this becomes the foundation of how people are structured and placed into different categories through the building of what we know to be America. And part of Black consciousness, frankly, has been understanding that that pyramid, that illustration is very much real. It's why the country is still so segregated with regards to neighborhoods, Mm-hmm. in school systems, in employment rates, in wealth rates, in life expectancies, in access to health care, and it, it goes on and on and on. Infant mortality rates. Y- y'all get the picture, yeah. right? So a staple of Black consciousness has been understanding that that pyramid is real, and then also being able to diagnose it very much clearly for what it is and talk about, frankly, ways that it can be pulled apart. This has been a staple of religious ideologies like the Moorish Science Temple, like the Nation of Islam, 
like pan-Africanist movements of people like Marcus Garvey. It's present in the writings of people like Francis Cress Wilson. Mm. And if not for anything, it's present in the sermons of Louis Farrakhan. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's present in the writings of Drew Ali and Elijah Muhammad. And if not for anything else, if we really going to promote black consciousness with nuance, we got to give these black people and some of these black ancestors flowers for that. Pointing us in the direction of understanding that pyramid and the evil that it actually is. And pointing us to the attention. No, it is not only just do we need to pull it apart. It is our divine right and duty to pull that pyramid apart. Mm Because its very existence is evil. Mm. Yeah, we got to give them their flowers for that for sure wow yeah you know um I remember you talking about this lesson that you gave your students and it was the first time I'd ever heard um the situation regarding you know race and in class and socioeconomic status and just caste system period discussed in any way shape or form with respect to Latin America right um I'd never like all we know here that's been you know regurgitated for however long it's oh, they have colorism issues. They don't like black people. They don't like people who are dark skinned and their version of dark skin is way different than our version of dark skin. And that's kind of like the end of it. You don't really, I mean, I could obviously always look it up, but there's, I mean, we can only take in but so much information, right? Mm-hmm. But um, this was my first time actually seeing someone discuss it that way. And I honestly didn't even know that it was um, so clearly differentiated until I had seen him talk about it. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. And if you go into the details, because it's like, particularly when you're talking about the distinction between mulatto and mestizo, mm-hmm. there's at least 40 or 50 other racial categories that they try to falsely create mm-hmm. based on even the mixing of those two and all different type of combinations of everyone in between. It's wild. Like Brazil. Like the mental gymnastics that people will go to, go through to put people into boxes. It's wild. Yeah. Just like, uh, was it Gina Rodriguez who had like posted a picture of her father and she was like, how oh, her dad was black. Everybody was like, excuse me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and someone was like, well, I mean, to her, that might actually mean dark skin. Right. Because like, that man right. was not nobody's dark skin, but to her with her cultural upbringing i didn't think so either it might be different right and that's the point it's like i feel like part of black consciousness and this is the problem why all right let's talk about why we have problems with hoteps right and why we call them hoteps and take issue with people like tyreek nasheed and Mm. umar johnson and um y'all know these people all them other niggas yeah yeah (laughs) um because oftentimes and far too often they don't make room for the fact that yo all black people ain't the same (laughs) right the one thing i don't i really wish i could remember where i saw it but um someone had it was an article um someone had written 
Hoteps are so pro-black that they're anti-black. Right, exactly. And I think that that phrasing works really well because the thing about like the people that we describe as hoteps, they have a very narrow view of what being black means, right? And what being black is supposed what to be. What it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And anything outside of it is not just different, it's a threat, right? right. And hoteps also have a habit of like placing black people everywhere even when it may not necessarily be true. Like we know right. that history has covered up the, ethnic, the ethnicity or the racial makeup of a lot of people because they want to react history and make mm-hmm. it seem like that person mm-hmm. is like white or something that's not black or whatever. But they be on some, you know, the first snowman was a black man type shit. Right. And it's like, it don't make sense. So to yeah. a more practical <laughs> example, because again, and it's not, because I, I, I know the whole snowman example, stuff like that. And I actually... <laughs> One of the ways I promoted this podcast was by, like, frankly, making a caricature of hotepism. Mm. Uh, but I, I don't want to do that too much because so a more concrete example of I think what you're yeah, let's be fair. pointing to it, it, <laughs> like and be a fair one is mm-hmm. this whole idea that uh, Nick Cannon has gotten in trouble for this. And he's a person in the public eye that typically gets associated with black consciousness community. Ice Cube has gotten in trouble with this before. It's this ahistorical belief that the people of the Bible and the people that wrote the Bible were sub-Saharan Africans. Mm -hmm. And what that terminology typically looks like in our contemporary dialogue is Black Americans are the original Jews. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a a historical claim that has been debunked by credible historians for decades now. Yeah, they. But there's that's... a pro. Hold, just give me. Uh, go ahead. Was, no, go ahead. It's a real easy um, leap to make because. If you interpret and read the Bible literally, you will read various passages throughout the Old and New Testament and see like, oh, what these Babylonians, what these Egyptians, what these Assyrians, what these Romans are doing to the Jews in the Bible, this is exactly what white people have been doing to black people for at least 400 plus years now. Mm -hmm. And particularly when it starts talking about the divine language of blessings and cursings, right? Or blessings and curses that, oh, there's going to be this 400 year span of curses, but that's going to be broke with this particular generation with this gets us into the whole astrology thing with, the December uh, 21st date that's coming up, <laughs> right? And it's like the hoteps start off with great diagnostic claims and deconstructive claims about what we should be doing to get rid of white racism. And then they just take us to all different types of places that frankly don't make sense. Mm-hmm that are baseless claims. And for me, the problem really is, is it ties black identity and black identity formation 
to falsehoods. It's like, like we don't need to make shit up in order to justify ourselves. Hello. Our very existence is justification enough for who we are mm. and how special we are. The fact that we still exist is a fucking superpower. Yeah. on it. <laughs> so yeah, I can't give it the whole whole tip like making shit up to you know. Yeah, that's that is whew, that's my big thing. It's like you don't gotta lie, you know. Like we've been through enough, <laughs> you know. Um, there's enough I, to pull from. Yeah, there's enough to pull from. Literally, like we don't have to add more. Um, I remember saying though that part to a friend of mine. Um, that part of the reason why that. Oh, excuse me if you hear that sound. Um, part of the reason why this whole tough ideology is so pervasive and that it's so easy to. Uh, that I had mentioned before the show, people, a lot of people, when they start learning about life and society and, and social problems and white supremacy, they kind of go through a whole tut phase. I mm-hmm. was very lucky mm-hmm. to have avoided that phase, mm-hmm. but like narrowly. Oh, right? I definitely went through it. <laughs> I, I avoided it by the narrowest margin. Shout out to Tumblr because I if it wasn't for went them. Through it. No, no, no. Imani, <laughs> I was going to the meetings on 125th Street. No. <laughs> yo, no, no. I, yo, I was talking with the black Israelites and all of that. <laughs> It's crazy because I could imagine that alternate reality that where you were if like is oh, like easily. I can easily imagine easily. that. Easily. <laughs> but one of the reasons why it's so alluring is because the narrative that they spin, um, for lack of a better word or phrase, it makes people feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Like it makes yeah. them feel special. Because it's pro-black. It's pro-black, yeah. but it mm-hmm. also positions us as being like god's chosen people right that's why everyone attacks the jews like that's why i mean white supremacists do the same thing like white supremacists and hotels have a lot of similar logic absolutely and a lot of white supremacist cells frame themselves as the original jews and see and and see that's the thing that's another problem too because it's i don't think black people that claim a historically that Mm -hmm. black people are the original jews i don't think they fully comprehend the levels to which that's erasure mm-hmm. of authentic Jewish people and authentic Jewish history. And we need to be very careful about that. I mean, seriously, and if we're, if we're this year, I've been paying closer attention to this specific topic um, because the idea of like black people and, um, and anti-Semitism has been big this year. Yeah. And so this is the first time I paid like close attention to it. And I don't know how to phrase this properly because I'm still learning, but just like how a big part of black culture um, stems from our history of oppression, because for black Americans, our history starts here, basically. Like mm-hmm. we had a history prior to mm-hmm. the slave trade, but and they did this their is what we know. And they cut us off from it. Yep. And they cut us off from it. Exactly. They so we're kind of starting. Mostly, yeah, well, they, they tried. Mm-hmm. Hello. Because we, you know, you know, oral histories and we, things like we that. We got and superpowers. Internet, we got wait, we make it work, right? <laughs> Real <laughs> but talk. A lot of a big portion, not all of it. I know a lot of people like to think that that's the entirety of our culture and experience, but mm-hmm. it is a big part of it. Is like our history with slavery and this oppression in America, and a big part of like of of Jewish culture is talking about their past too and about their history because they've been you know chased and hated all over the globe. Absolutely. You know? And so by by taking that from them, 
that history that they've learned from and become great because despite of it is crazy. It's like saying in the face, dirty. It's like saying I know for the last four hundred years we've been saying that black people were slaves, but actually it was some other. It was us. Some other random. You know, it was the Chinese people. They were actually slaves. The Irish were slaves. We covered it up. The Irish were slaves, and we covered it up. Like it was. It's like that. Like it's that level. Right. You know, it's that level of disrespect. Because I slap shit out of somebody. Exactly. Right. Right. Like real talk. Hey, like you will catch these period, like, <laughs> like I tell people all the time, like I'm saved, but you can catch these heads. Like, <laughs> around with boxing gloves in your car, so people need no, to no, that, that's legit. No, 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 like legit. I got boxing gloves <laughs> in my trunk because we're not trying to kill nobody, right. but we can we're shoot the five problems. Right, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and we can go home and have dinner and piece it up afterwards. <laughs> but you can catch these heads. Um, but black consciousness, yeah, it's like bros, like guys, we don't fellas, gotta do this, we don't gotta do this. We do not need to make things up to lie about our history, and more important, no, no, j- the most important thing is blackness stands on its own. Thank you. Like, like, and I mean this from the depths of my soul. The fact that we are still here. Visual representation is an mm. anchor in and of itself. It's all for we us need to hold on to. Like we've survived the worst of the worst. Our flesh is a testament. Real talk. We don't need to make things up. <laughs> While we're here, I do want to make sure I note because I don't want to forget to do this. Mm-hmm. That um, it's two things actually. So the first thing is that um, your note, your comment about it, it kind of excluding um the thing about people who fall into this whole type category is that they exclude a lot of black people right they exclude right. Like, and that's what that's kind of what i meant earlier about the whole you're so pro-black that you're anti-black yes because you have a very very narrow and rigid view of what it means to be mm-hmm, black mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. anyone else doesn't fit they are excluded right, right. Mm. and so that means Black gay people, right? Mm-hmm, gay, mm-hmm. trans, right, all of that, right, right? Right. We're talking because about because the ideal for hotepery is a Eurocentric model of a nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the idea of hotepery is not really to get rid of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. It's to replace it's the cis heterosexual white man. replace the peninsulari at the top with the black man that was formerly at the bottom but black woman black child black queer people are expected to fall into the same level of patriarchy that they found themselves in previously right but you just get a little bit more superpowers now because black people are on top Mm. exactly that's the goal of hotepery exactly and they claim, you know, that this is uh, a means to liberation when liberation to them just means owning the power, right? And so pretty much any Black queer person is not included in this, right? It don't matter how you present. Even if you present masculine, quote unquote masculine, you still are not included. Um, and it excludes women. It excludes Absolutely. women. Um, no, no, no. It, it includes you if you know your place. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I was about me. to say. So it, it includes us as, Folks, as I, I, second I, I, class I, I citizens. I was trolling. I do not actually feel that way. <laughs> I do. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, no, oh. I'm saying, no, when I said that 
your place is beneath Oh, no, your place. Oh, yeah, no. I, I knew was you was joking. We knew you was joking. Of <laughs> and, and again, folks, I'm not making this up. Look, I'm, hold, y'all, y'all, my, I'm holding this book. No, right you here. don't have. <laughs> I do have a copy of the ISIS papers in my personal library. I've had it for years because I wrote a research paper. I'm telling you, yo, I went, yo, I did a research paper. Read? What's that? <laughs> I said you read. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I did People a... who may not know by now, you actually read. <laughs> I did a research so... paper on Hotepery during my first year at Yale Divinity School, um, and this was the most comprehensive text of the written ideologies that I was able to find in research, other than like the pamphlets and stuff like that I was able to collect from 125th Street. So we're not just talking out of our ass on this podcast, folks. You know, the research too- and the homework has been done. <laughs> it's been done. If you want to know what Hotepery is in detail, and I'm not recommending you to believe this stuff because ultimately I think it's bad for Black people, which we'll get to towards the end of this podcast. But if you're trying to get a consensus um, understanding of what Hotepery is, Francis Cress Wilson's The ISIS Papers is an excellent place to start. And you know what? I actually met Francis Cress Wilson um, you know, a few years before she passed and Rest she in was peace. talking about the ISIS Rest papers and, and I've explained to people before, I don't know if you remember me telling this Kwaji, my, the, my mental process, like as she was speaking, cause I was with it at first. Right. I was like, Oh, you know, this is nice. Like, you know, cause at the time I didn't know much about her. I just had heard murmurings mostly about, so I knew that some people just didn't agree with her, but I didn't know why. Right. Mm-hmm. So I sat there and they had her at a church too. This was at a church. Mm-hmm. This this mm-hmm. Uh, lecture was at a church. Yeah. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you know, this is you know making sense. She's talking about white supremacy, and I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for it. Like I was a sociology student, so like I'm following along. And then it kind of just starts to veer off, and then just flies way out of anything that I could pop. And so I was sitting there, and I was getting increasingly uncomfortable. Yeah, and so I was looking around because I thought I was like, I was like, I can't be the only person in here that feels this way. Mm-hmm. And I think I was. And, so, and I was extremely uncomfortable. And even after, and this is before I fully formulated my views on this, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And on the way back to campus, everyone was like, oh, she's so smart and that's great and blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there like, oh, y'all niggas is crazy. I can't yeah. believe it. Or am I crazy? Maybe it's me. Mm. You know, like I just was really, that was my first exposure to like Hotepery in, in mass, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like see, I really, I as, didn't understand. As, as I got older, I realized that I was getting subtle images of it the whole time I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like people, various older people in my life would see something in me and see where my interests are. And cause like I was always reading as a kid. And like they would hand me pamphlets and mm. certain books and stuff like that, and certain handouts and stuff like that. Like I came into the first time I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, I was given it by someone who I would consider a hotep now. <laughs> um, the first time I got my hands on the autobiography of Asada Shakur, someone. Mm that I consider a whole tub now. The first time I got my hands on literature from France for nine. Mm. From someone. So, and it's like. I was trying to get you, Q. 
No, they were, but at the same time, and, and, and see, this is important about the nuance. And we spoke about this on episode two when we talked about unity. My understanding of a black renaissance church, real talk, gotta make room for hotep niggas too. Yeah, honestly. Because they are bringing some shit to the table that we need. Yeah, I agree. They I really think, are. I think that... They got it, some it, work to do like we all do. Yeah, I think it's hard, though, because there is something that unites us, right? Because mm. at the heart of it, what we want, at least what we say we want, is liberation, right? So, like, mm-hmm. that is something that mm-hmm. we all mm-hmm. have a goal that we agree on. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's not the first time I've heard someone say, you know, we do have to kind of bring up, bring these hotels to the table for a number of reasons. One, because they're very effective at communicating their message, first Absolutely. of all. So we should learn something from them Absolutely. for that. Absolutely, because they're doing something right. They're doing something right, because they, they, the numbers, they're Yo, racking up. Talk, and talk. so, um, and so, you know, there's that aspect of it, but it's really hard. It's easy to say, it's easy, like, for someone who is, like, maybe, like, seemingly, because I wouldn't know everyone is, I, everyone's identity, but seemingly, like, cishet, black man mm-hmm, to say mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. but someone like me no most deaf like most hotels would not want to sit and break bread with me they would most, want me to serve them the bread right so it's right. like or like the fact that you know me i consider myself to be you know at least most most of the time highly principled it's hard for me to sit with someone who hates gay people Facts. you know what i'm saying like Facts. i can't do that like i stopped Facts. being friends with that people. shit is not good for my spirit Word. it's not good for my spirit and it's not good for your face so it's like <laughs> I just can't do it. And so you I know that somebody it's my nigga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not good. And so I know that that's work that someone else can do because I do think it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. It's just not getting done by me and mine, right? Like, but I do think there needs to be some sort of um yeah. intermingling and I don't know, consensus building, whatever the hell we want to call it. But I do think we can utilize them. Yeah, and so for myself in particular, and, I, and I'm really glad you said that. Um, not that I have this weird relationship with Black feminism and womanism, and that I was trained by some of the finest womanist scholars on the planet while I was at Yale Divinity School. Oh, wow. And real talk, they were the most impactful professors that I had while I was there. Wow, that's amazing. And part of that is, it's like trying to find like my my, my place within that without appropriating it mm-hmm. and without dominating it, but still actively learning from it and allowing it to empower me to grow. Mm-hmm. And like, so someone yeah, like, like you would be more like living it, you know, like that would be more in line with, with, I guess, like what you can do is kind of like living it and demonstrating it through your actions. Because and part of that, unfortunately, is arguing with these hotel niggas. Part of that is ho- arguing with hotel Because it's exactly. like, because <laughs> it's like, you shouldn't have to, like, it's serious. Correct. It's, <laughs> yeah. You Which know? you do. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I don't be on social media quite as often as I used to. Like I probably I go through phases and right now I'm like in my off social media phase. 
but your page is one of my favorite pastimes on Facebook. So I'm definitely <laughs> scaling back. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting tired. I'm, I'm really getting tired. Like, I feel you. I feel you because I used to be on that too. So yeah, yeah, it gets draining. And then, yeah, and we we opened up the first episode talking about how one of the reasons podcasting is the way to go is because like you cannot have nuanced conversations with yeah. niggas on Facebook, and especially when it comes to this whole tip shit because it's like yo, bro, you are hurting the very same people you claiming you trying to love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it really come down to, like, because, like, at the heart of heart of them, it's like you empathize, or at least I'll speak for myself, I empathize with them to some degree because it's like you really do love black people. Yeah. It's like your mom's side. You just got to get you to tweak your lens a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and and for me, would it really go ahead? I'm sorry. No, no, yeah, no. Imani I, got the quotation. Like, you know, he's so pro-black. You're, you're, you're anti-black. <laughs> yeah, that's really what it is. And I, I, I hear you, Q, but I can't. I don't know if I can jump on board with the "you really do love black people" thing, unless we're using a different definition of love. Sure. Um, they got a fucked which up they idea might be what love is. Right? They might no, be no, no, using no. a different definition. They got of a love. fucked up idea what you. love what love looks like. Now, nah, what love is? They got a fucked up idea what love is. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I, I just, I just, the thing about okay, so we were talking about you know feminists and womanist scholars, right? The thing mm. about the thing about black feminism and womanism is that it digs down deep, right? Like it drills yeah. all the way down. All the way. And so- It's going to it, expose them demons. Yes. Mm. And, and, and it's, you know, it makes you question yourself. It makes you do you the work in yourself, right. mm-hmm. but it makes you really dig down and find like what's at the heart of these problems, right? And so you can't, and so coming from that framework is like, you can't say that you love black people if the only black people you love fit what you Facts. feel like yeah. black people should be yeah, right? right like you're hurting people yeah and then you're hurting yourself right, right. like one of the big right. things that we talk about with within black feminism is like how forms of oppression also hurt the oppressed right. and the oppressor sorry and so it's like okay uh cis had black men right um may have certain privileges or whatever have you but there's a whole lot of, and I'm talking about within our community, right? Like not mm-hmm. in large, but in, right. within our community. Um, but the same things that give those few like legs up here and there are the same things that hurt, right? right. So it's like, we're talking about masculinity, for example. So it's like, you gotta be strong, you gotta be powerful, you gotta be tough. But that also means that, you know, black men are have higher percentages of like acts of suicide. Mm-hmm. And you have issues of, you know, mental health issues you have issues of you know fit doing things that are harmful to yourself my nigga you don't get to love your family you don't get to right love way. your family like, you don't get to love you don't get to love your family do you know how many times i see people talking about oh maybe you shouldn't love your father too much because nigga, it might make you gay like that's are you stupid. fucking crazy that is stupid and, and see and this is great the the best transition because one of the ways that um this past weekend on the 18th was the three-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's, both of his jerseys being retired in the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. And Kobe Bryant, most of the time when he was playing, I was not a fan of Kobe Bryant. I rooted against him on almost every team. 
every team. Um, you did. You are I, strong. Like whenever you don't like an athlete, it's very. Yo, very I go well all I don't do anything. You be a strong hater. I don't, yo, no, no, like hate, hate, like player hater of the year type shit. Yeah, um, player haters ball level. That's right, Silky Johnson. <laughs> um, Kobe, I always respected him because, like, that killer instinct he had. Mm. He was a cerebral bra- basketball player, super athletic, super focused, and stuff like that towards the end of his life and why why him dying was such a tragedy you talk about a renaissance man um getting involved in like a, a black film creator a black entrepreneur but what was the most i guess um beautiful part about the man he was becoming was that same level of focus passion and intensity that he put into his own career when he turned that into his daughter's um, development as a basketball player, and you saw everything that he was doing for her, mm. it was like, that was a new understanding of black consciousness for me, it was like everything that he accomplished as an individual didn't mean anything mm-hmm. unless he could have put that into his flesh and blood, the bone of his bone, right? Uh, and it's just like this understanding of, and, and particularly for black men that are promoting this whole tepery in large part, you can't be whole as an individual if the community in and of itself is not whole. Mm. And it's like, if, you, if you, you keep all of these things that we're striving for, um, like you said, toughness and greatness and uh, individuality. Like we can have all of those things. We can't have them at the expense of our community as a whole. Like it, it's it's counterproductive. Yeah. The two can't coexist. Exactly. But if you have one, you can have both. Mm-hmm. Right. So we just need to reframe like our consciousness with what it means to be men, what it means to be masculine, what it means to be things like tough, what it means to be great. Let's start with taking care of our families. That's right. Let's start there. It's a, a good, it's a good place. Like to actually start. loving like, our families. Like real talk. Like I don't fuck with niggas that don't take care of their kids. Mm. Like real talk. Like I, I just, I just, I'm not going to apologize for that. And you know you don't take care of your kids. I don't gotta explain it to you. Right, exactly. <laughs> you <know? laughs> There's not much definition in that. Right, right. there's that, no wiggle room. That's one of those wrap up. You're not getting no <laughs> nuance with that. Right, like this, this is it. Um, <clears throat> so I think Kobe Bryant is like kind of a good case study with respect to uh, when you're talking about someone's development, like as a person, and starting to. Um, understand what's going on and and try to live a better more helpful you know life uh being more connected to your community raising you know a a good family and that is one of the best ways to impact your community is if you're the kind of person who actually wants kids i'm not but if -hmm. you want a family that's one of the best ways to impact your community is Mm -hmm. having kids Mm -hmm. and raising your kids to the best of your ability to be knowledgeable and Mm -hmm. and sympathetic or whatever um but he's a good case study because of how he started Absolutely. and where it finished, you know. Brother got more conscious as he got older. He did. Yeah. And um, 
but it, it's the other reason why it's a good case study is because there's still ways to critique that you know mm-hmm, to create mm-hmm. if, if we turned his life into a, an actual case study right sure, there'd be ways sure. to critique it because you know someone like me who like i could i'm kind of like a budding abolitionist kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. um and part of the reason why i am is because i believe in people's capacity to change me better and always impact in their community around them and you know the harm you caused before is not you're not necessarily gonna if you make an attempt to um change your life you can actually you know mm-hmm. become a better person things like that mm-hmm. right but i think something that people need to emphasize more is um i don't know what a better word for it is than like atoning for harm that you've caused yeah um because he was a mess mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know about the the sexual assault case and things like that. Absolutely. And he just also just had a really bad attitude. But yeah, um, sure. yeah. <laughs> just yeah, throw that true. in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, and so it's like he did a beautiful job raising his kids, right? Mm-hmm. But it's and it's like you can see the love that he's pouring into his child, um. But it's like you've caused harm to black women or black women in the past. You know, and it's like, how do you, how does someone from the outside reconcile that when they're deciding how they feel about you, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so whenever, you know, whenever I'm brought into a discussion about Kobe, I, I always feel compelled to mention that yeah. because, you know, I don't like rewriting history and I can, and you can acknowledge that someone has become a great person and acknowledge that they've har- done harm in the past that, you know, can't be undone. <laughs> For and, sure. And, yeah. and, and that's an important part of black consciousness as well, right? Giving people the room to grow while mm-hmm. still being yeah. honest about their flaws mm-hmm. and their mistakes and things like that. Nah, yeah, you screwed up there. Yeah, these conversations are always tough. Yeah. Because then, you know, what I always like to bring into these discussions is, you know, <clears throat> what was going on with him where he was like that and Mm -hmm. what was going on with him to finally realize that it's time to grow it's time to learn about myself it's time to learn about what i've Mm -hmm. done it's time to to know where i am where i was where i'm that where i am now and where i'm going to be it's like what was going on in that person's head i mean think about i mean even if we With res- okay, so you know how for basketball players, uh, you know the hype that surrounds like a new player, right? Especially mm-hmm. someone with as much talent that he had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as someone who was an athlete for most of my life, I even though I'm a woman, I still kind of understand that hyper aggressive culture sure, sure. that comes along with. I mean, I didn't even do like the hyper aggressive shit. Like I didn't play basketball. Like I swam and ran track and did softball, you know. But Yo, track was an aggressive ass sport. Okay, know. you know, actually, I wasn't gonna go there, but you're absolutely right because. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you start? yo, hmm? oh, let me tell you, um, but and I threw, so it was actually really aggressive, but um. So I understand that culture, you know, and then when you're someone like Kobe, there's a lot of talent, a lot of hype around them. You grow, you, you spend your life immersed in this culture, right? Your whole life is immersed in this culture. You've been playing all this damn life. And so um, there's like a hyper-masculine culture associated with a lot of these sports, well, all male sports, basically. Um, 
and you buy into that these are messages that like and this is not me making an excuse because anyone who knows me knows i don't i don't play about sexual assault i really mm-hmm. i really don't like that is a no. hard line for me right you should not at all <laughs> so but it's like we can understand the context in which this all happened right mm-hmm. And it's like, you grow up and these are the messages that like you're socialized to believe that you are entitled to things, that you can take things and people, you know, it's because because who you are, people are willing to just kind of put up with whatever behavior mm-hmm. and you don't have to mm-hmm. think about the impact on other people. That is like an actual like mindset that people have. And so when you have that mindset, and again, I didn't know, I don't know this man from, you know, hole in the wall, there's no what I see, you know, right. in the media. But it's mm-hmm. safe to assume that that at least played a role in it, you know, mm-hmm. because I've seen could, that play out in other areas. And you could also say he was born into it because what his born into it. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Very good point. Very good point. Mm-hmm. And so that's a that's a thing, you know, like that's really a thing. And so it's easy to get caught up in and and really that be a part of your identity, you know, Um and I think that when we're on our personal journeys and becoming better in our lives, and we have to make sure that we address the harm that we cause, right? And right, you 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 can't ignore that. You can't like, ignore that it. That is not conscious. You got to repent. You do. Which, you really do. And which it's is like, important. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, which is important. What of what um, Quadri was saying earlier about you know you, your community has to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. for you for you to to, to yeah. also be good right. yes 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 because you know what i'm hearing now is there's there's an environment that created that mm-hmm. so what happened what needs to happen is we have to fix that environment sure. yep 100 you gotta you gotta change the uh the the conditions that create right. these situations right like that's part of like abolitionist teaching is like Absolutely. you're not just ending prisons right you're right. like ending the conditions that create that, a whole host of problems right. that make these things necessary or create these things right. that we say are bad you know right and and that does frankly require a change and a shift in our consciousness and the way we understand ourselves and the way we understand each other the way we understand our values mm-hmm. and what's important to us and, and and yeah, that, that that's a that's a that's a tall order, but we we got to be up for the task. Get done. Like real talk, our survival is on the line. Like yo, America really there don't is. fuck with us at all, and it's painfully evident. Right. right. <laughs> like, it's like as soon as they have an incompetent MF in the White House, like like everything gets exposed. Mm-hmm. And it's like if we still in denial now. I really don't get I it. I mean, what the fuck else do we need? Exactly. Listen, <laughs> we, we got to be conscious, folks. Stay woke. Real talk. This fight ain't over. All right. And that is an excellent place where we can wrap up today. Friends and family, this is Speak Easy Black Renaissance Podcast, Episode 5, Black Consciousness, Our Superpower. Thank you for all those uh, that have listened and continue to listen. Thank you for your support. We could not do this without you. Special thanks to Miss Imani Lawrence for joining us on this episode and bringing her knowledge and insight into it. Black consciousness. So we're going to end today's episode with a song 
by two popular figures during on the uh, jazz scene during the Harlem Renaissance, uh, Miss Ella Fitzgerald and Mr. Louis Saxmo Armstrong. And this particular song is a rendition of a jazz ballad called It Ain't Necessarily So. And jazz has always been a refuge for me to speak about and hear about things that I thought were previously unspeakable. And this particular song helped me in a point in my life where I was a kid in Sunday school. And I just wasn't feeling right about some of the things that were being said um, and the justification for why these things were being said. And my questions weren't necessarily encouraged. So in many ways, I was thinking I was crazy or I was thinking I was I was the oddball or I was the odd one out or I must be the only one that thinks like this. And this particular song helped me come into my consciousness by letting me know I was not alone in having many of these questions. So here is, it ain't necessarily so, Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. Small, but oh my, little 
David was small. He fought big Goliath, who laid down and died. Little David, oh, but oh my! Fish abdomen. Oh, Jonah, he lived in the wind. Little Moses was found in the stream. Little Moses was found in the stream. He floated on water. Till old Pharaoh's daughter, she fished him, she says, from that stream. Papa the Papa So they tell all the children the devil's a villain, but they necessarily so to get into heaven, don't snap for a seven, live clean, don't have no fault. Oh. Take that gospel whenever it's possible, but with a grain of salt. Methuselah lived 900 years. Methuselah lived 900 years. But who calls that living? When no gallop given to no man was nine hundred Simon to show Ain't necessarily Ain't necessarily Ain't necessarily 